from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty on demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Follow the Prophet is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. The workplace is slowly gaining steam as the pandemic is seemingly getting more under control, hopefully. And as more people find work, women again are facing difficult decisions on whether to focus on finding a job or caring for their family. And we'll take a look at some of the solutions that could help turn that around. Plus, speaking of turning around, our next guest is a firm believer that people should. Many women find themselves defined by their mistakes from their past. And our guest says the path to really follow is to evolve, to break up with your fears and revolutionize your life. I'm David Grosso, and this is Follow the Prophet. You looking to get rich quick? Well, this isn't the podcast for you. 
When you listen to Follow the Prophet, we're going to deconstruct what's going on in the world around us, economically, politically, and socially, so that you can use your own money to help you. And when it comes to the workplace, women have been fighting for every gain in that arena. They have to fight really hard over things like equal pay, discrimination, opportunity in general, maternity leave, other family issues. And of course, progress was made, but when COVID hit, it brought women back several steps. So the pandemic, as you probably remember, hit its peak in April of 2020, and many people of many backgrounds lost their jobs. But women saw the biggest hit at 15%, men at 13%. But if you hone in on a certain group, women of color, that number went as high as almost 20%. So the employment hurdles that women faced during the pandemic didn't stop there. It turns out that many of the industries that employ a large amount of women, such as education and healthcare, they routinely saw furloughs and mandated shutdowns. So if women were able to hold on to their job, they then had to face other tough decisions like childcare, elder care, and probably the biggest one, homeschooling. And Massachusetts is a state that has one of the highest number of women in the workforce, and they saw those numbers drop during the pandemic. Many experts called this period the she-session. So women working during COVID saw a spike in not being able to get proper time off to care for themselves or loved ones, whether they were infected or in quarantine. And really, these decisions were often brutal. Do I keep a job or do I care for my loved ones? And it was decisions like that that scaled back a lot of the progress that women had seen in the workplace. And some states are currently looking at ways to fix the problem, whether it be easier access to childcare, retraining for new jobs, or funding for emergency paid leave. Paid leave has always been something that women have been fighting for. And specifically, a lot of studies show that women being out of the workplace severely inhibits their career, especially when it comes to child rearing. Additionally, other studies show that somehow, someway, the way women operate, they tend to ask for raises less. So we're going to break that down with my guests. For a moment here... I want you to place yourself in the Garden of Eden, specifically put your place in the position of Eve. We all know the story. You're told by your creator that you could have anything in the garden except the fruit from this one tree. Well, we all know how the story ends. Eve was tempted and voila, she ate from the tree. And then she offered up that apple or whatever fruit variety existed in that tale. She offered it to Adam, and he ate from the tree, and then the fall of mankind happened. So our next guest says there's a lot to be learned from this story. Essentially, that one cannot focus on who they were, but instead pursue what they can become. And the way this tale is told, especially in the Judeo-Christian tradition, which I was raised in, of course, a lot of focus is placed on Eve and her past failure. But perhaps a major lesson for women is to move away from that path and spend their energy trying to evolve. Women have the strength to break away from their fears and instead place a priority on revolutionizing their lives. And our next guest will explain that mindset and more. She is Sarah Jakes Roberts, daughter of Pastor T.D. Jakes. In her early 20s, she found herself dealing with low self-esteem, toxic relationships, depression, and other insecurities. And at one point, a decision had to be made. Settle for who she was or evolve. 
Today, she's over in sunny California. She's a wife, mom, businesswoman, and spiritual warrior, and she joins us now. How you doing, Sarah? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So Adam and Eve is one of the oldest stories that we can think of that was told to us as children. How did you channel this story, which, of course, 99% of us know, and use that to send a message to women? Well, I think to your point, when we look at how women have been represented throughout culture, whether it is the equal pay that they're looking for or just fighting for their space in the workplace, I really believe that the woman's perception goes back to what happened in the garden. And that perception of the woman was obviously diminished when Eve ate from this fruit. Because I was like most people, when I thought about Adam and Eve, I was like, Eve messed it up for us all. She is not my friend. There is no way we can ever forgive Eve for ruining humanity. But when I looked back at it, I saw that when we look at that story that we have used to vilify Eve and to be honest, so many other women, what I learned is one, the original intention for male and female was to have dominion. It was to be fruitful and to multiply. It was to subdue. There was never this hierarchy. There was always equality from that original intention. And so as I began studying what I realized, because about not eating from the fruit, God says that if you eat from this fruit, you will surely die. But Eve lives on after that. What dies in Eve? I think her courage, I think her right to feel like she belongs in the space that she's in, advocating for herself. I think those are the things that died in that moment. And so woman evolved for me is about rescuing Eve, but any other woman who feels like her courage, her faith, her ability to stand up for herself is beginning to shrivel and die to show her that there's life after forbidden fruit. So some of the nastiest forms of discrimination I've seen in my life have been against women, which is odd because we all have mothers, right? There's no possible way for someone to be walking this earth without a mother. Why do you think that's become so normalized? And do we have a double standard the way we view our mother vis-a-vis -vis the way we view other women, perhaps? I'm speaking, of course, of men. Sure. You know, my husband says that all the time. He says women have been the most oppressed people group throughout history. And I really do feel that it goes back to this moment in the garden. I think from that moment forward that it felt like women couldn't be trusted. And so women had to have their plans and their lives kind of premeditated by men who didn't understand what it was like to be women. And so I think that there's a fragility maybe that we perceive women with and yet I have met some incredibly strong women, like my mother, like so many women who we've seen in main history. And um, I think the goal is to get it to see that our strength is not an anomaly, that this is a part of our fullness and our identity. And so it needs to be highlighted more and we need to be empowered to put it on display. Well, what I like is that you're touching on an issue. And one of the things about our culture right now is that when we are of a group that is, you know, let's say viewed as less powerful, instead of celebrating victimhood, you're celebrating victory. Can you tell me more about that? Absolutely. Because like you, most people feel like that is where Eve's story in the Bible ends. She eats from that fruit. She ruins it for us all. And then we look for the woman who comes after that. And yet when I studied, I saw that that's not really where her story ended, that in that moment that God comes down and he talks to the serpent and he tells the serpent, there's going to be war between you and the woman and you're going to bruise her heel. But at the end of the day, the seed that she produces is going to bruise your head. And so what I see from Eve after that moment is her being intentional about manifesting the next thing that is supposed to happen in her life. 
sometimes we get stuck when we feel like we've been victimized, whether it's by our own decisions or the choices of others. And we don't see that we have the ability to manifest the next if we're willing to do the hard work to dig in our wounds, to discover the wisdom that's connected to them. So you grew up in the church, obviously. Your dad is T.D. Jakes, mega church pastor. I grew up in a, in a big church as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, it's crazy. Whenever I hear people say mega church, I think there's such a misnomer with that because the truth is I was just seeing my father walk out what he felt was his purpose and what he was called to do. And people just kept coming. And so we had to create a space that was big enough for the people who kept coming. And as we continued to invite people into our church family, there were all different types of family environments that were created within our church community. And, you know, I had so many experiences that played out in front of those family members, my highs and my lows, my struggles, my teen pregnancy, my divorce, all of these things happened within the context of that community. And some days it was easy, other days it was difficult, but to my personal family's credit, they were amazing and steadfast through it all. We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. 
The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival. Presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion. Lady A. Riley Green. Ashley McBride. Brothers Osborne. Walker Hayes. All hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th. Stream only on Hulu. Starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. 
Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. So a lot of times the church is giveth and taketh away, right, Sarah? In a time of need, they help. But, you know, it's a community of humans. A lot of times you face judgment for certain decisions that you've made. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I think one of the prime examples is when I got pregnant at 13 and I had my child at 14. And there were some people who wanted me to get up and apologize in front of the entire church. And that was really challenging because, you know, a lot of the times I was playing with their children. So I knew what their kids were doing. And yet they were holding me to this standard. But I will also say that when members of the press came out to try and get a story or when I actually had my son, there were also people who you could tell were like lovingly holding me in their embrace, even from afar and kind of making me see that I wasn't in it by myself. So there is a mix of all of it happening at the same place. And I'm grateful that I didn't feel completely isolated, even though my shame tried to make me believe that there was no one who was for me in that moment. Obviously, when you're the child of someone who is powerful or influential or whatnot, you're judged by a different standard, aren't you? Definitely. But I've always told people, like, if a dentist child has a cavity, they don't want to take the dentist's license away, right? Like, we know (laughs) that part of humanity means, like, we're going to be out here on a journey. And yet in church, if something happens, they want everything dismantled. And so... I'm hoping that people will become more compassionate with that, but I know that that's a reality for a lot of people. So tell me a little bit about what made you evolve. So your team can see that the story of Eve didn't end when the tale ended. It looks like your story continues, Sarah. Tell us about your story. When I first got pregnant, I was trying so hard to not be the girl who got pregnant. Whatever judgment that is that was in my mind about what it means to be pregnant as a, as a teenager, I wanted to run as far away from that as possible. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to do X, Y, and Z. I had this dream for my life. And every time I tried to do that, it felt like I was failing. I had this one course in college I couldn't complete. So I dropped out of school because I knew I couldn't get into business school. And I just kept meeting failure after failure after failure. And it wasn't until I decided to stop trying to be the girl who got pregnant and accept that I am the girl who got pregnant. That is a part of my story. And it's not a part of my story that I just want to put in the closet and act like it's not there. And I think that that struggle to embrace your truth is where I was. But my story began to shift and change where I said, this is who I am. This is what I've gone through. Now what? Now, what can I do with what I have left? And it was that humility and that beautiful brokenness that allowed me to start connecting with other women who wanted that as well. And from that, this Woman Evolved movement kind of blossomed into what it is today. What lessons does Women Evolve have for men? Because we always do this thing, right, when we're advocating for a certain group, it's uh, perceived as not advocating for another. I have to tell you that because my husband is like my number one supporter of Woman Evolve, and he is very much so a man, right? But I think that there is something about us as women also coming to a place where my evolving doesn't mean that I want men to dissolve. That even if we go back to that story, when God blessed male and female, he created them to have dominion in the world together. And so for me, Woman Evolve is an opportunity for men to even understand the women in their lives better. 
If you've got nieces or daughters or sisters or a mother to take a moment and be able to see life through her perspective. Maybe we think certain things were hard, but don't necessarily recognize the true damage or the true issues that could have sprung up for her when experiencing different things in life. And so I think it's an intimate view into what it means to be a woman in this day and age. And it makes you better allies as we continue to fight for equality. Yeah, so let's talk about equality because this show's about money. We follow the profit. I think one of the scariest things about living in marginalized communities or being a, you know, pregnant teen or, you know, being an unemployed woman, man, black, white, Asian, whatever it is, is the economic insecurity. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And as a woman of color, and especially someone who is a person of faith, you know, our number one objective is to make sure, of course, we're dealing with the spiritual issues, but how can we support people who are experiencing economic insecurity? The moment that the pandemic hit, Woman Evolve knew that there were going to be mothers and women who were having to make some tough decisions. And so we immediately began flooding our communities with as many resources as possible, financial, emotional, mental, because I don't think what we really understand is it's not just the economic insecurity, it's generations of economic insecurity. There is a mentality of oppression that begins to permeate our communities when that happens. And we don't even think that there is a way or a path towards entrepreneurship, a way to climb the ladder. And so that mental connection to it, I think, is also something that needs to be highlighted because there is opportunity after whatever we've gone through. But being clear enough to see it is difficult. Yeah, so that's really interesting, the entrepreneurial mindset, because I feel like I had that because I'm the son of an immigrant, my mother. But beyond that, we were also part of the non-denominational movement growing up. And I don't think people understand the the interface between the non-denominational movement and entrepreneurship. Can you color that a little bit? I don't know that I could fully cover it, probably to the extent that you can. But I do think that there is something to having the limits and barriers removed from the way you show up in the world, even as non-denominational that allows you to think without restriction and boundaries. And so if I am not limited by this certain way of living, this certain way of thinking, then I'm free enough to create. And with that creativity comes an opportunity to produce the solutions that our communities need, because I think the most incredible entrepreneurship is solution-based. And I think that that requires freedom and liberation in order to do that. You said it better than I could have ever had. So you're being modest. (laughs) And so you've lived in this culture, So we live in a a world where religion is on the decline. Why do you feel like it's more relevant than ever? You know, I actually think that it is good for religion to be on the decline because I think spirituality and real connection with that higher power is so important for each of us. I think part of the reason why we're seeing religion on the decline has to do with social media. It's difficult to feel like your religion is the religion when you're friends with someone who is a Muslim or an atheist on social media and you see them living their life. It's difficult then to feel like, okay, well, this is the only way to do it. And so I think in many ways we have become more open and we've come to a place, hopefully and prayerfully, we'll continue to grow in this place where we are okay being wherever we are on our spiritual journeys and giving people room to do the same as a believer and a person of faith. 
my walk with Jesus, my desire to stay connected with him is at the foremost of my convictions. And it's how I relate to others. And we don't see Jesus being religious. We see him talking and connecting with so many different people. And I think that that's what we're turning towards. It looks like religion is declining, but I believe that there's something even more beautiful uprising. I'm not an atheist, but just to put on the atheist hat here, religion has been a tool to keep women down, especially economically, since like the dawn of time. I mean, the story of Eve, you know, <laughs> kind of puts Eve in her place and damn you, Eve, like you're you're the problem. <laughs> no, I told but I will say this and I and there are so many um, denominations that reflect that mindset as it relates to women. But I think that we cannot under estimate the other denominations like my husband my father have been voices of empowerment for women for several years um, decades from my father even and so I think that it is important that we do have to kind of shift our focus to the places where we do see women being celebrated you know as a woman of faith I have this following on social media that I think is in direct contradiction to those notions of oppressing women and at the end of the day I do believe that there is a change taking place and I think it's a worthy change, but women need to be empowered to take their position. And we need men to be a part of that empowerment. And I'm thankful that my husband and my father have been instrumental in making space for my voice in their movement. What role does entrepreneurship play in healing historically disadvantaged communities like communities of color? You're from Texas. You know, you lived in these communities. What role does, you know, taking charge of your own economic future play in fixing these systemic problems? Yeah, they are certainly systemic. We've got to have a multi-pronged approach. We need people invading the systems to deconstruct them. And then we need people who are in the communities who are taking ownership of their communities. I'm not just going to wait for someone to come in here. While they're working on whatever system is trying to keep us down, I'm going to do what is necessary to take care of my community. Representation is so important. There are reasons why people within our communities only think that they can be rappers or basketball players because those are the images they see from day to day. But the more that we can see our brothers, our mothers, our uncles creating businesses, whether it's on the corner with lollipops or having convenience stores or nonprofits within our communities, there's a sense of ownership and pride that says, I want to take care of my people and my community. And it allows us to begin changing the narrative about what we think is possible for people who look like us. Yeah. And especially women play a major role in that because entrepreneurship has been historically something, if we take race out of the equation, that has really been a male driven activity, hasn't it? For sure. But I think the stats are showing that over the last few years that women, especially women of color, are entering that space of entrepreneurship at a rapid pace. And I think that has a lot to do with us not seeing representation and not waiting for someone to represent us and saying, if no one else is going to do it, I'll do it for the people who are within my community. We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. I Heart Country. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion. Lady A. Riley Green. Ashley McBride. Brothers Osborne. Walker Hayes. All hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th. Stream only on Hulu. Starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. 
The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. Part of your story about evolving involves burying the past. It's not so easy to bury the past, especially when the past haunts our present. If you live in a neighborhood that doesn't function properly, the past is haunting you. If you got pregnant when you were a teen, people are still whispering about you, Sarah, that you were that girl, right? You were the preacher's girl who got pregnant. How do we confront the past without ruining the present? Oh my goodness, that's such a beautiful question. I think there are some instances in which we learn that the past is really the boogeyman, that the past is this fictional, especially for something like me with my teen pregnancy. I felt like that past whisper was going to follow me forever. But when I finally said, what is it you're saying about me? What are those words that are being spoken over my life by fear, by my past, by my insecurity, and then begin to confront those words that I saw change? I think that in our communities, the past is ever present. And yet I think that where we're beginning to see change is when people confront the issues. I'm not talking about just we know that the past is haunting us. We know that drugs have been an issue in our community. We know that economic disadvantages have been something that's happened in our communities. It takes someone who says, but what are we going to do about it? That's what we have to start saying back to the voices of our past, to the voices of fear and shame. What are we going to do about it? We are given a short time here on earth and we want to make it impactful and we want to make it meaningful. And so the question becomes, if this is where I live, if these are my people, if this is my community, what can I do to begin to turn this ship in a different direction? 
So, Sarah, um, a lot of uh, mega pastors have gotten some heat for their lifestyles and the gospel of wealth. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because that was something that was big maybe 15 years ago. And in fact, even further back with the 700 Club, for young listeners, there's been several scandals where religious leaders, and in fact, we've had one recently with, of course, Jerry Falwell Jr., where we see these, the mighty fall as well. I guess I have a two-pronged question, Sarah. My first question is, these people are imperfect because they're human, obviously, but people tend to conflate that with spirituality and religion, don't they? For sure. And that's a multi-layered conversation. When we're talking about the different ways that people are able to make their lifestyles happen, I think that uh, for someone like my father or my husband and myself, we've had multiple businesses, multiple streams of income. The downfall to that, though, is that there's one that is very public, and that public thing ends up getting the credit for all of the other businesses that we have. So it looks like it's all coming from this one stream, and yet we have books, we have movies, we have TV shows, we have all of these different streams in real estate that play a role in our lifestyle. And so I think it's on the person who is watching to see the full picture and to make a judgment based on that full picture. And I think when it comes to morality and people of faith letting us down in moral ways, Yes, we're certainly imperfect. I think now more than ever, we need leaders who are authentic. We need leaders who are functioning in humility, who don't mind apologizing and saying when they're wrong and don't mind stepping back and stepping down when they need time to heal. Yeah, they have trouble doing that, Sarah, if you haven't noticed. (laughs) (laughs) I have, I have. What about the interface between faith and politics? Because that's something that gets a lot of press. What is the proper role for faith leaders in politics? My goodness. You know, I will tell you this, that when it comes to faith, God is not a Republican or a Democrat. And I think to utilize our platform to push for God's candidate is not ideal. I think at the end of the day that we have to remember how Jesus came to the earth, what God's focus is on, thinking about those who are marginalized, thinking about those who are poor. I think those are the areas where we have to consider really advocating if we are going to be the representation of heaven on earth. And I think that we can do that without being disparaging to whoever's on the opposing side of that. I think that our primary responsibility is to operate with love and respect regardless of a person's belief. And I think that that's an area where we could stand to grow a little bit more. Funny enough, I feel like if more women had been powerful in the faith community, we wouldn't have seen so much aggression against the LGBT community in the past. Can we talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Well, I think this is a generalization, but I do think that women tend to see things through a lens of empathy and compassion. And I think that when you're seeing anything through the lens of empathy and compassion, that it changes the way that we interact and engage. I'm hopeful that we'll be able to see a change as we move forward, not just in that community, but in all different types of communities. For me as a teen mother and then a single mother, to really see us begin to wrap our arms around everyone. Because my husband and I share this as faith leaders. My goal is to get you to God. What God wants to do with your life after that is between you and him. And so my prayer is that we can continue to be that bridge and not the judge instead of the bridge. Speaking of representation and why it matters, you talked about representation in communities, but how about in the nation's boardrooms and in the halls of Congress and whatnot? Does representation matter or would you rather have someone who doesn't look like you or isn't your gender but shares your values? Oh, no. Representation definitely matters. That feels like a trick question. I mean, and if you don't believe it, 
I think cancel culture is going to make sure that we have representation in the boardroom because when we continue to see corporate organizations make the type of mistakes that are insensitive to communities, different communities, that they're going to learn those lessons. And it'll be a hard lesson, but hopefully it'll open up space in those boardrooms for all different types of people, not just um, Black people, but Brown people and Asian people and all different types of people from different walks of life. It's really interesting to see when corporations mess up. And it seems like if they had had you in the room, Sarah, or me in the room, that that someone would have said, hold on a second. Like, (laughs) we can't do this. (laughs) Hopefully. But you know what happens is you get in the room and you allow what happens in the room to change who you are. And you're so afraid of losing your seat in the room that you don't speak up. And so we do need to be in the room, but we also need to make sure that we are using our voice when we are in the room because there has been representation in some spaces, but there wasn't a culture that allowed you to actually use that representation to expand the company's views. Aha. So now we talk about the difference between diversity and inclusion. You hit the magic button. So diversity is just like a United Colors of Benetton commercial, but inclusion means that we care what Sarah and David think. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. And I have to tell you, you know, as a black woman who has spoken in different spaces, whether they were mostly white communities or white corporate organizations, that I have made a commitment to make sure that I am myself in those spaces. I don't want to just be the token girl on the flyer. I want to bring the fullness of my identity into this room. And what I have learned is the core of what I'm speaking about when it comes to empowerment, when it comes to growth, releasing our fears and our anxieties and stepping into confidence. The core of what I talk about, it hits the room the same way, whether the room is mostly white or mostly black. But we have to trust that the core of what we want, whether it's for our corporate mission or for ourselves as humanity, the core of what we want is the same. We just don't always agree on how it should be communicated or how the work should be done. And that's where us having the ability to be flexible and nimble really plays a role. Yeah, well, you're talking my language. Most of these communities talk past each other. It goes back to what I said earlier. Advocating for a certain group is seeing as not advocating for another group, and that's patently false. And we just use different language to talk to each other in our respective communities. Absolutely. And I think that we're getting tired of it. I really, really do. But I do think the pandemic has forced us to have to hear thoughts that we could otherwise ignore. And as we come out of the pandemic, one of the things that I hope we're able to do is to maintain our ability to hear from voices that are different from ours. The insurrection, as terrible as it was, was a rumbling that had been taking place. But we were all so busy in our worlds that we didn't know exactly how bad it was until that day when we saw what happened to our nation's capital. And I think now we're going to take it more seriously when someone says something about our country. The same thing with George Floyd's murder. When people were able to view that because they weren't so busy with their own lives, it made them more engaged with wanting change. So, Sarah, this is potentially a sensitive question, but I've noticed that corporate America has really jumped on the bandwagon of Black Lives Matter. And it seems like every stock photo model is black, right? You go to Amazon's website or or whatnot. Is this good? Is this bad? Is it a mixed bag? How do I interpret this as someone who, who is not black? You know, I think it's too soon to tell. I think that actions over time are able to represent a fuller picture. And I think that as a person of color, that I want to see how things play out over time and uh, what it does for people's mindsets and paradigms. I think when you're starting anything new, that you try everything and then you see what works, what feels unique. 
sometimes you are forcing it when you start a new business and you don't know how to market yourself you're forcing yourself to do things that you wouldn't otherwise be comfortable with but over time you're able to really capture a rhythm that takes into account the fullness of what your business is there to do but also who your business serves and so I think it's too soon to tell, but I like that they're willing to try. I think there's something to be said about effort instead of ignorance. So I want to finish with something that, you know, I don't quite understand because I'm, I'm too old and I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. hoping you're younger than me, Sarah. Little Nas X and his uh, devil blood shoes. <laughs> oh <my God>. Wow. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, it seems like an entrepreneurial thing. It seems like a lot of the faux pas that used to exist around respecting communities of faith have kind of, like, disappeared. You know, I think it was, and based off of his own admission, I think that it was, I don't want to say backlash, but I think that it was him saying to a community that he felt hurt by that he doesn't care about their thoughts and opinions anymore. For me personally, I don't watch scary movies and I don't play with the devil. So it's not my dream <laughs> at all. <laughs> I, I don't either, Sarah. <laughs> okay, I don't play with the devil. I don't. I don't want his shoes. I don't want his symbols. That's not my jam, you know? And my hope for little Nas X, and I said this on my own podcast, is that he will come to a place where he no longer has to respond to his critics, but he would be so free that he can create from a place of healing and impurity. And for listeners who don't know what that is, basically this was this Nike shoe that this entrepreneurial sneaker, gay, black sort of Satanist put human <laughs> blood in and mass marketed as like a niche product without Nike's authorization. Did I, I do that justice, Sarah? You did. You did. It was a lot in the sauce, but you were able to pour it out. We liked it. I'm getting a no. Is that a no? No, you did well. You did okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So that might not be right. So, <laughs> but anyway, I don't have a lot of time to focus on niche marketing, although it seems like there's a lot of that these days. It seems like the future, especially going back to our story, is that micro entrepreneurship is really, this is the best time in the world to start a business. All the barriers have come down. Everyone is a global vendor. People in every corner of the earth can join the revolution. And that includes people right here in the United States, doesn't it, Sarah? It sure does. And most especially women, which is definitely why Woman Evolve is important to me, because I really do feel like the revolution is closer than it appears. But it does take work. It does take uncovering some layers and then planting some good seeds. So, yes, let's start the revolution. How do you manage your social media following? And I promise I'll, I'll leave you alone after this because no, no. <laughs> that's a loaded question. Yeah, I already got called a trick question once. So let's try to avoid those <laughs> a loaded question. How do, you, how do you manage being a mother? How many children do you have? We have six. We're a blended family with six kiddos. They are 24, 22. We both have boys the same age. So they're now 18. We have an 11-year-old and a five-year-old. And how do you balance being an entrepreneur, mega pastor daughter, also the founder of a movement, and also somehow having time to talk to me? And you got to make sure your social's on fire. So how do you do it all? Yes. I store up photos for social media because most of the day I'm in sweatpants. And this is the other thing. Like, this is the big secret. I'm going to give it away on your podcast. The big secret is to be the same in every space. 
That way you're not having to change who you are to show up in another location. The same person I am when I'm running my business, the same person talking to you on this podcast is the same person you would see in a sermon. It's the same person who you would see frying chicken in my kitchen. And the more that I'm able to maintain that authenticity and allow it to show up in different spaces, the easier it is to balance. And I think the key thing is also saying no, knowing when I've had enough, knowing when I need some soul care and not just self-care. That makes a big difference for me. So where do we learn more about you, Sarah? Uh, You can follow me on all the socials. I'm Sarah Jakes Roberts, and you can get plugged in with the movement via our podcast or even on social media as well. Okay, cool. And uh, you got to give a shout out to dad. What's dad up to these days? That man is a busy man. He's got a lifetime deal. He's got movies coming out and like consecutively over the next few months. And he's got a book dropping. He's on skate somewhere. And how does he do it? How do you all uh, do that? How do you manage all the pressure? Because everyone we, thinks it's so easy to be part of the glitterati when really it's hard. You know, I, I thank God that we've got great team. We've got great team that allows us to function in different spaces. And um, we take lots of naps. That's it. That's it. And I and I would be amiss not to ask about your mother. Oh, yes. My friend. She's doing so good. She just went back to school. She just finished her degree. She decided to go back to school in the middle of the pandemic. So she finished her degree. She's working on her business. And um, she's still covering for me. I had her make something for a friend of mine who just had a baby. So she's still holding it down. And she always does. So wait, mom's evolving, too? My mother is big time evolving. She got us out of the house and became someone who I totally admire and did not get to see growing up. She's like doing things. Uh, I saw some snaps there, which you can't see on audio. I guess we'll just snap like this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sarah, I so appreciate your time. All the best to you, your husband and your six children in sunny Los Angeles. I'm jealous. I imagine the weather there is better than here in Orlando, Florida. Not so hot. Uh, That's great. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thanks to all of you for joining me as we follow the prophet and a big warm thanks to Sarah Jakes Roberts, way cooler than me, and also the author of Women Evolve and is wanting to share to people, especially women, how they can get past those fears and really revolutionize their life. And a shout out to our team of producers, Emiliano Limon over in San Diego, California, Scott Handler and Cheyenne Reed in New York, and our executive producers, New King Rich and Debbie Myers. I'm your host, David Grasso. If you like this show, Go ahead and give me five stars. And my team will look at that review so that we can learn what this show should be about. Follow the Prophet is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All opinions expressed by David Grasso and his guests on the show are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Gingrich 360 or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated by David Grasso on this podcast, television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by David Grasso as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. David Grasso's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable but neither Gingrich Productions nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy.
and it should not be relied upon as such. David Grasso, Gingrich Productions, its affiliates and or subsidiaries are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided on this website. David Grasso's statements and opinions are subject to change without notice. No part of David Grasso's compensation from Gingrich Productions is related to the specific opinions he expresses. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Neither David Grasso nor Gingrich 360 guarantees any specific outcome or profit. You should be aware of the real risk of loss in following any strategy or investment discussed on this website or on the show. Strategies or investments discussed may fluctuate in price or value. Investors may get back less than invested. Investments or strategies mentioned on this website or on the show may not be suitable for you. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. You must take an independent decision regarding investments or strategies mentioned on this website or on the show. Before acting on information on this website or on the show, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and strongly consider seeking advice from your own financial or investment advisor. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific.